Who is this DeAndre Baker character? Your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we are reviewing the Southern Carolina, South Carolina, the opposite of the North <laughs> Carolina uh, football game we just watched last night. Those of you tuning in for the first time, which I don't, I think most of you have already seen one of our uh, review episodes, you probably understand how this kind of goes. We talk about our experiences, and then we kind of dial that into a more stats-focused viewing of what we saw over the weekend. So yeah, we do. Uh, Nathan typically goes to all of the games. Uh, I think it's very rare that you don't go to one of the games mm-hmm. at this point. And so we kind of start with that. And then I add my some my random quips. These days I don't, I'm not working at the brewery anymore. So I don't have to, uh, I don't tell any of those anecdotal stories anymore about dealing with drunkards and whatnot. But we'll see how this goes, I guess, instead. How interesting my experiences will be now that I don't deal with the masses any longer. How were your experiences, Nathan? How was it? We had, I thought, a very good day. I went up there with the Derbies, which is the traveling pet band for the Redcoats. There were just over 100, I think, on the trip, all told, with staff and everybody there. It was miserable. It was about <laughs> as hot as it looked. I actually thought it was not as bad as the uh, Austin P game. There was at least a little breeze. The Austin P game, as anyone who was there would know, was just totally dead air. But there was a little breeze down at field level. And we were down right down at field level. So I got to go on the... Um, field a little bit which was fun but you know the the view was not super great so i watched actually watched like a lot of the game from on the jumbotron which was a very surreal experience uh but yeah i mean it was a very good it was a very fun time especially because we won uh south carolina's band very excellent hosts they brought us all sorts of water and ice and just really kept us hydrated and made sure nobody died and we didn't have any piety pass out which was always a, a big bonus does it happen yeah oh yeah we oh, had really? like Oh yeah, at the uh, at the APSU game at the Austin P game, we had like fifteen twenty kids under the what? stadium. Yeah, passing out. Yeah, with like just heat exhaustion Jeez. or getting overheated. Yeah, well, I mean because they're in wool uniforms, you know. Yeah, I mean it's a little bit easier because the derbies don't wear the uniforms. It's yeah, just the like polos, right? khakis and polos, which is um, and that's actually partially the reason why they do that is just because you know if you're going to send someone into a relatively hostile hostile environment, certainly not from the home band but from the rest of the crowd you don't want to send them in there with an outfit they that they might get so hot they pass out in as for the game i mean uh my biggest thing was i was you know it was interesting that whenever you watch the games without having the sort of narration of the commentary it's really easy to get too caught up in one side or the other of the narrative in your head mm-hmm. and i felt like this game was way closer than it was way later than i should have i was still worried about this game like towards the end of the third quarter um, mainly just because like I'm a pessimist at heart, but only when it comes to UJ football. Sorry about that. Nathan's computer just I made think, a noise. Reset and did an update. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, I'm a pessimist at heart, so I was really worried about this game way later than I should have been. I, I did think, and this is sort of something I said after the Austin P game as well, but I just did think that good God, this team, you chased is just so big and so fast. And it really stands out at you in person, how big they are and what the speed is. And I mean, I just mean, even before the snap, you can just like, just watching them line up before the snap, they just look so much bigger than everyone they've played this year. Mm -hmm. Now that's not necessarily going to be the case all the way through the year, but for an opponent that does not have this kind of, or even close to this kind of roster, uh, it is a very noticeable difference between 
uh, UGA and their opponents just literally getting off the bus. Sandstorm, Sandstorm is the wonder wall of electronic music. Uh, the Derby sounded great, which is now almost a joke because on the UGA or the Redcoat Band Facebook page, people always just post Derby sound great. Really, I was way more nervous than I should have been. Talked about that. I thought that taking a knee up 41 to 17 was just chef's kiss mm. good. Oh, uh, it tasted mm. it tasted so good. Bone uh, the rooster crow, you know, they have that horrible rooster noise they make and then their sandstorm into the emptying stadium was so good. And actually, I, I put a video up of this on my personal Facebook, but I guess I could also post it to uh, Chapel Bell Curve's Instagram. There was a point at which they did sandstorm and basically all of the USC students were gone. And I just have a video of... You pan across the emptying stadium at South Carolina, and then you can just see the band just like totally losing, losing their, their minds. minds. And they had all gotten the same towels that they because they they give out these like white towels to everyone regardless of their affiliation because like it, it gets so hot. And they had all gotten those white towels, and so you just pan over this sort of dead crowd, and then Sandstorm is playing, and then you see uh, the Redcoats or the Derbies or whatever just losing it right in the <laughs> middle of Sandstorm as everyone else just sits there somberly. Um, when that was super fun. Yeah. You know, I thought all in all, it wasn't too bad. You know, USC's crowd coming in and leaving USC's crowd is always a little bit chippy. Uh, but there wasn't any moment where we had to like call the cops or anything. So I thought that was good. Hey, that's a, that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a win. I I had to spend some time. (laughs) This unfortunately is just sort of the nature of the world that we live in that I usually have to spend some time on each away game screening the auxiliaries, the color guard, and the majorettes and the Georgettes from just creepy old men. And I had to spend basically like two thirds of the game doing that. Uh, so that was, you know, kind of frustrating that I had to do it. I was happy to do it, but just being required to, it's, it's just yeah. like, you know, it's not that hard just not to sexually harass people. It's it really it's pretty isn't easy. hard to not I do sat that. around them the whole game and didn't even do it once. So wow. it feels like you're an angel. I know, right? Just because I didn't. Such a brave man. I'm such a, I'm such a brave man for not sexually harassing people. God, it's not that hard, guys. Um, so, how was your? What was your experience like? I know you kind of said that you don't, you didn't have to go to the brewery. So I did. That's, yeah, that's kind of a change of pace. Which is always this year. great. It's a, it's definitely a change of pace. It's a, it's a weird experience. I mean, I was really able to sit there and watch the game, which was great. You know, being able to sit there and you know put my my stats goggles on and enjoy watching every piece of the the team do what they're supposed to do is really fun and not having to just watch it in snippets like I used to do is really great. Just every time I got to walk by the screen, I would mm-hmm, get a, mm-hmm. a quick snippet of the game. And then you think, working. man, I really do have to record a podcast about this tomorrow. I yeah. wish I could watch more of this. <laughs> exactly. And then I'd have to go home and try and watch some highlights, wake up in the morning, try and watch some highlights and, you know, pretend I watched the whole game kind of thing, which... Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. These days I get to watch the whole dang thing, but... That was really great. That was my, my, the biggest change in experience for me was that. And I really like that thing. We watched it over at the Clark's house, you know, fan favorite, Ryan Clark, who has been on the show before. Those of you may know who that is. Mm-hmm. I know West Coast Mark knows who that is because uh, it's like his arch nemesis somehow. Uh, I, I really enjoy that. But I had my sandstorm count going. I counted eight sandstorms on the TV. So I can I only imagine how many I actually counted, made it through. I think 10, 10 at the game. I love it. Uh, that was the very beginning of my experience list the the other thing was you mentioned being nervous you were nervous up until the end of the third quarter i think you said or Mm -hmm. through the third quarter pretty much yeah yeah that's about the same for me like we came out of the gate swinging and our first quarter was pretty incredible i thought second quarter was real rough and i made a mention to you this morning when we were eating breakfast together that the as bad as the second quarter was i feel like was about even on how good we were for the other three quarters 
Yeah. Just, the second quarter was so sloppy. There were some, there were a bunch of little pieces with certain uh, just bad calls where receiver and uh, quarterback weren't on the same page, or you could just tell poor like ex- yeah, execution, just poor execution, yeah. bad blocking, bad blocking, poor execution. Um, there were a bunch of bad penalties that could definitely have been avoided. Mm-hmm. I think. But I was pretty nervous up until the third quarter when we went on that 21-point run. We went up 226 to their 16 yards of offense. And I was pretty happy about that. That felt pretty good. You know, that was the team that I came to see. And it, you really, Kirby Smart's second-half adjustment adjustments are just unrivaled, I feel. Yeah. Um, well, and I, and I think that's kind of part of it is that us freaking out in the third, and, well, in the second and through the third, kind of has to do with sort of we used to view this team under Mark Richt where it's like, oh, a couple of things go bad, and then another thing goes bad. And then another thing goes bad. And all of a sudden you're sitting there like, oh, okay, here we are. We were up 31-17 and now it's tied. And that's how it, even when we were up 31-17, that's what I was worried about because that happened so many mm-hmm. times to us. But uh, I actually thought it was interesting. Uh, Fine Palm actually had something about this, about, um, you know, fans being worrying about upsets and stuff, which is weird. Uh-huh. But Paul Fine Palm said, I was in Columbia Friday night and ran into some Georgia fans. They were nervous. We've seen this before under Mark Rick, they said, but Kirby Smart is not Mark Rick. This is nope. a different program. And I think that that's something we're just going to have to adjust to, you know? And, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, it's something I was thinking about a lot was that if we are, if you and I are the kind of people that try to avoid thinking about jinxes and don't care about, you know, the what is lucky and unlucky and just look at the stats, then what the stats say about Kirby Smart to this point in his career is that when he is favored, he beats the crap out of who he plays. Oh, Yes. And he's also best in the first and the third quarters of it. Yeah, his, his, the, the, I mean, not just Kirby Smart, but Jim Chaney and yeah. Jay Johnson and this group of um, coaches. Yeah. yeah, all of them, this everybody team. doing the offensive plan seemed to really come in, come out and make some adjustments in the third quarter. And um, a lot of that was execution, I thought, but also just, I, I think we had a very good plan. So what's our next segment here? What do we want to talk about? Oh, uh, last few bits of experience. I was, I, I also like to follow the, the college football Reddit thread. They usually mm-hmm. do a game thread of the game. Yeah, yeah. And I follow along with the new pieces. And just want to say, just like we thought, everyone was calling for Jake Fromm to come out after the second quarter. Yeah. They were saying, pull Jake Fromm, pull Jake Fromm. And, and then Tyson he came Campbell, out. I and, guess. and Tyson Campbell as well. Bench them both. Yeah. And it's like, you got to chill out. Like, don't, don't be the hot take fans, one, which I don't think that our, our listeners are hot take fans. It can sometimes be easy to be hot take fans, but if you just take a step back and think about what's going on, you know, it's not as bad. You know, I think Campbell was exactly where he needed to be. He needed to go, you know, into that game the way he did and he needed to get he needed to get beat a few times and he needed to mess up just like anybody does. You learn from your mistakes. Uh, and I definitely think he did because by the end of the game, he was playing a lot different than he was at the very beginning. And then Jake Fromm, I think that, you know, just my own opinion is that I think we pulled him too early from the Austin P game. And he probably needed to to shake out the jitters a bit more than we let him in the first, you know, in that Austin P game. So uh, by the end of this game, I definitely think that Jake Fromm was the Jake Fromm we expected and wanted. And he, he's he's doing all right. He's doing just fine. Also, my niece is very into touchdown kisses. <laughs> That's I had that that written down here. There was one point where she was in the back room and she was playing and she was she was playing very loudly at the point where like, hey, I'm making pizza, like pretending to, to play kitchen. And then we, she heard us get a touchdown, and she goes, "Oh, touchdown kisses! I'm coming!" And like ran in the room and kissed everybody, and then it's ran like back, prepping and, everybody yep. for you to. Here I come! So that was real fun. From experience, though, we can get into the stats. So our next segment is what the stats tell us, and so we'll start with what do the stats tell us about South Carolina, and then we'll move into what do the stats tell us about UGA. So a couple of things that I had. So the happy plays were very balanced. UGA had nine, and South Carolina had eight. 
Uh, but ha- but South Carolina did a horrible job capitalizing on them. Uh, their only recovered turnover, they had a pick of Jake Fromm and immediately went three and out and had to punt it and mm-hmm. then had a bad punt. So I, I think um, UGA's better physicality and size and depth really showed through in the finishing drives. I don't have the five-factor box scores for this yet, but I imagine that we're going to have a huge advantage on uh, points per trip inside the 40. For sure. I also think that you could tell that UGA, when we when Carolina had like four or five snaps inside of the you know traditional UGA red zone, and in each time, except for you know the two touchdowns, there were four or five times where nothing came of it. And in fact, like only one of the touchdowns was in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was interesting that you know USC clearly wanted to throw the ball, and while Bentley had some like good raw numbers, he went thirty for forty seven for two sixty nine. He also had uh, two picks to one in one touchdown, and his yards per catch was only 5.8, which to me sh- says, and I think this is backed up by watching it, was that what we what we did with them, that our defensive game plan was that we were going to basically give them the underneath stuff and let them complete passes underneath and then just tackle soundly, and they were very successful at that. Now, the problem is, if you're going to do that, if your offensive game plan is, we're going to throw underneath and we're just going to dink and dunk a game, we're going to dink and dunk these guys to death. You have to find a way to replace two things. A, you have to find a way to take the top off the defense because eventually somebody's going to drop a pass. And indeed, South Carolina did have, did have five drop passes on the game. And B, you have to figure out some way to get the run game going. And what kind of befuddled me about Brian McClendon and Brian McClendon's plan yesterday was that he didn't really seem to have an answer for what to do other than the underneath pass. You know, they did spring a couple of yards after, uh, you know, yak plays on us where it was just a catch and run where they just had a lot of talent and our guys took a bad angle. But it didn't seem that they really had much of an offensive game plan after we counterpunched. It was, you know, everybody always talks about, you know, SEC football games uh, in the metaphor of like boxing and how you have to, you know, punch, counterpunch, punch, counterpunch. So it was clear that they found something that worked, right? They, they, they could throw underneath and they knew they had guys that could run. But then once we were just tackling sound enough that those gains were for four or five instead of eight or nine, they didn't seem to have like a second plan. And it was clear that they didn't think that they could run on us because they only tried 20 times on the day. They had 58 pass attempts and 20 rushing attempts. So I was just, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily like a horrible game for Brian McClendon, but I'm a little befuddled about why they didn't try some different stuff because they just could not convert anything. They couldn't convert third downs. They didn't seem to really convert very well inside of the red zone. And they didn't seem like that they could just stay ahead of the chains and be efficient, which was really weird. And I, and I thought it particularly was a problem. And I'll have to look at once we have the full stat breakdown, I'll have to look at everything. But it seemed to be that they particularly had problems on third down in particular to me. There were a lot of times where they had third and three or third and four, and they just couldn't convert because those are obvious rushing downs. And we, we, we knew they were not going to run. So I don't know. I, I, I don't want to like throw dirt on the body or anything here. Mm-hmm. And I do like Brian McClendon. I think he's a good offensive line or a good offensive coach rather, but I, I'm a little befuddled as to if you're going to play a team with superior talent, which they knew they were coming in, you have to find some way to get a schematic advantage. And while I thought that McClendon has a good feel for the game and he knows when to counterpunch and he knows when to pull out the trick plays. And I thought when they ran that Philly special play for the touchdown that they ran it to perfection it didn't really seem like that he had an overarching, you know, philosophy for how do I beat a team with more talent than me? And really, for South Carolina, until they can prove it, that's going to continue to be the case if they want to go to the SEC championship. So that was that was my main takeaway was just that, you know, while I do think that they are a well coached team and they play with a lot of dif- discipline and toughness, it <clears throat> it seems like that the remnants of Muschamp Ball are still on this team in some ways, and if only in the sense that they were still 
coaching and playing as though they had Florida talent against Georgia when they don't. Yeah. And so that that was a little befuddling to me. That was very strange. It just seems like the that old adage of uh, what is it? Madness is defined as doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different yeah, results. Yeah. And that's exactly kind of what it seemed like. like well, we, we, yeah, we were so willing that, to give them the four yard under route. Yeah. But the thing is, if you, if you can't run after you do that, what are you supposed to like? Yeah. What's the where's point? the rest of your offense? Yeah. Right. It didn't make much sense. It was an odd game in that, in that sense, for sure. But ended up just trying to do the same things over and over again, even when we made them predictable and, and clearly gave them the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Instead of zigging, they zagged. Yeah, I agree. Other things about UGA. Let's talk about UGA stat. I think I talked about the biggest thing was, you know, right before we went into this game, we said we want to see and we want to make sure that UGA controls the ball longer than South Carolina. We wanted to make sure that we were in charge of the ball and we controlled the game clock. Because we thought that, you know, once we got up, of course, which we were hoping we would, and we did, we would be able to hold onto the ball and run the clock as long as we possibly could. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what we saw. It was almost 11 minute difference in terms of uh, just ball possession for the game. We went out and came back with 35, 43 uh, minutes on the, on the clock of, you know, possession, and they came back with 24, 17. So that was definitely true. Uh, and I think that it definitely helped in the long run, of course. Uh, okay, so a few things I want to go over. Campbell clearly got picked on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Brian Edwards was seven for a hundred. Uh, he had seven catches for 111 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, a good pass game wasn't enough because UGA can play the run is yeah. what we oh, found yeah. today. 54 yards for 2.7 yards per carry. And certainly this is not Alabama's backfield, but they're Rico Dowdle and AJ Turner are good running backs. Yeah. And they could not get anything going today. You know, I thought that uh, the defensive line played like they had their hair on fire and the numbers bear that out. I thought that we were, were really good in run fits with our inside linebackers. And a lot of the things that were sort of low level anxieties certainly were, for me, I feel a little bit better about them. Mm-hmm. The stuff that I was a little anxious about after the, after the Austin P game was what are we, what are we going to look like in run fits and the inside linebackers? And what is our defensive line going to look like? And both of those questions were pretty emphatically answered, at least in, uh, run coverage. I did not think that the inside linebackers looked amazing at pass coverage, but of course, neither of them are Roquan Smith, and most people aren't. Um, there were definitely glimpses of greatness, though, for yeah. sure. Um, I also think team speed kills, and the stats bake that up. Uh, you know, we had long yards after catch plays from Hardeman, Holliman, and Godwin. Hardeman himself had 84 yards of yards after contact plays. Um, I thought that O-line play, you know, and I think part of the reason for this is that O-line play and perimeter skill talent are the hallmarks of this team. They are the best parts of this team. And you can kind of see that realized when you have a, you know, a short pass to Hardman or a short pass to Godwin. And then you see without being illegally down the field, you know, Ben Cleveland manages to get down the field and blow up a safety after Godwin catches the ball. And those kinds of plays, I think, are sort of the hallmark of what this team is going to try to do. We know we have a great offensive line. We know we have pretty much better speed talent on the perimeter than anyone else around us. And we're just going to work that until someone can stop us. And until we play Alabama and Auburn, probably no one has the talent to do that. No. Um, I thought, you know, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more in our call, our takeaways, but I just want to give you the stats, the pro football focus stats for DeAndre Baker. Yes, please. Uh, DeAndre Baker was targeted nine times yesterday. He allowed six receptions. Four yards after the catch, one interception, and two pass breakups. Four yards total after the catch? Yep. So what that means is that... Ba- <laughs> now, no, hold on. I just want to totally, like... Hold on. 39.8 passer t- passer rating when targeted. Uh-huh. Uh, this is uh, per Lig- Ligastrum Dog, who sent us both um, both of these pro football-focused things. One about McCall Hardman, one about DeAndre Baker. But um, just to be clear about what that means for DeAndre Baker, either... 
there are only two there's basically three outcomes when you threw the ball to deandre baker's man yesterday either they caught the ball and were immediately tackled or they had a pass breakup or there was an interception there was not an incomplete pass thrown like you know do you, do you know what i'm saying like, oh yeah per these numbers there was not an incomplete pass thrown to deandre baker mm-hmm. there was never a pass over his head these were accurate passes going to the man and nothing good happened either they got tackled immediately or he broke the pass up or he intercepted it deandre baker might be one of the best cornerbacks in college football Whew. yeah he definitely played like it too like uh just the combination of him and J.R. Reed yesterday was absolutely incredible to yeah. watch. The way they played together and the way they, and, they and my boy, covered in tandem. Jeez. And my beautiful boy, Richard LeCount, who we're going to talk about more oh, yes. about because we got a question about who our favorites are and we're going to talk about <laughs> him. And I'm going to just go ahead and tell you it's Richard LeCount and I love him so very much. <laughs> and we're going to talk about why I love him and yes. how good of a boy he is. But um, We're sorry to not have sexy picks because we're, we're both defensive boys. I know yeah. that's not usually as exciting. but that's No, but I, I have... We have I have a lot reasoning. of things to say about Richard LeCount. Okay, so let's. Um, we kind of went into some numbers here. You know, we don't have the five factors box squares yet. We do have the S and P plus. UGA Ray, uh, Ray went up to uh, third, and S and P plus from fifth. You could see that this this game was definitely good for both of our um, unit rankings. Uh, last week we were something like 18th and 16th mm-hmm. for overall a fifth, and then well, because our special teams is around like four or five. Yeah. So then this week. UGA is third and is about five points behind Alabama per S&P Plus. Our offensive S&P Plus, we are now seventh up from the mid-teens. Our defensive S&P Plus, we are now tenth up from the mid-teens. Um, yeah, so... It's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, this was a very efficient game. I don't... Ha- like I said, I don't have the full box score for everything, but this is this is one of those games where we, we beat them as bad as it looks like we beat them. Yes. After talking about... Bit of the stats and everything, kind of talking through what we've seen, what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, what are our takeaways based on everything we've been talking about so far? Or do you want to keep talking about the stats? You still got to no, pull no, that? no. I mean, I think I got all the stats out. You, um, well, you have a lot of takeaways. Do you want to go first? I feel, yeah, I feel like my takeaways are mostly just observations from the game. Yeah, no, hit me. And we've already kind of talked through a bit of them, but no, no, no. Um, give, give me what you don't have. Yeah, the, and we can let's base this. I want to say this one thing, and then we'll go into. Let's look at the S and P plus and just the 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 scores that you have in front of you from mm-hmm. um, the offense. Uh, the biggest thing was I thought that they they looked like they pulled from out of last week's game too early, and I think it would have been more beneficial to give him more reps last week at Austin P than they did Justin Fields. I think it was definitely beneficial to have Justin Fields do what he did last week. Uh, I I don't think there was a wrong answer necessarily, other than maybe splitting the time a bit more evenly last week at austin p because it definitely looked like in the second quarter from um got a little bit frazzled but other than that i think he did a great job um is there anything that we can find in the stats that show us that or back that up at all is it broken up in between quarters yet or no i mean yeah so we can actually look at that per we can actually look at the stats just give me a second to pull up the thing yeah so uh looking at jake Fromm's line on the night Mm-hmm. It looks very good, but there's some kind of inside of the numbers stuff that we can look at. So Jake Crum was 15 for 18, 194 yards, 10.8 yards per catch, one touchdown, one in- interception for a 77.2 QBR. Which is solid. Um, yes, which is Super very good. efficient. But all three of his incompletions and his pick were in the second quarter. Yeah. So what that shows me is that basically this is a team that, or this is a guy that came in rusty. And if not rusty, he came in and he was not totally in sync with what the defense and the offense were doing. Even though he was, it seemed like he was making really good calls at the line in terms of checks the whole game. 
he definitely had a couple of bad throws. And also, honestly, there were just some problems in pass protection during the second uh, quarter that kind of exasperated, exacerbated mm-hmm. that. And I definitely think there were some pieces where it doesn't wasn't necessarily Jake Fromm's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing, the first interception that I saw that was intended, the pass intended for Tyler Simmons. And Tyler Simmons pulled, uh, he ran a hook instead of a slant. And Jake Fromm put it exactly where he would have been had he been running said slant. But right. um, Simmons... Ran, uh, ran, spins ran. around and, and misses it entirely I mean, gets and, intercepted and definitely a couple of sacks that he took were mm-hmm. he took the sacks because he you know there was one where cleveland just totally let he a got guy run over. past him yeah. and then there was one where kinley just like lost just yeah. lost his man in the shuffle and that i mean that happens like that's just part of it or whatever i but i yeah i think you know on the one hand you don't want to have your star quarterback injured when you don't have a lot of quarterback depth, which we don't. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you're right. Maybe another series in the first game would have, you know, helped him work out the kinks a little bit more. But yeah. you know, but by the ul- end of this game, I think he's fine. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, he went 15 for 18. So you yeah. can't, you can't totally, you can't fault him for all that. Another big thing, big takeaway. Um, you already mentioned it once that team speed kills. This, this is team speed. If we were running back university before, we are just team speed now, and it's nuts. Our wide receivers are stupid fast. Our running backs are stupid fast. DeAndre Swift was running around guys. Holyfield was running through guys. Hardman was beating every guy that he ended up having to get matched up with. It was just absolutely insane. And that's not even the end of it. Like, every receiver had a good night. Ridley is incredible. Um, Hardman's incredible. Brian Harrigan is fantastic. Uh, And to think that that's our third string running back, I think that's absolutely insane. The short runs that James Cook had, he ran through guys. Like, it was like from top to bottom, this was an outstanding performance from our offense once you know the training wheels came off if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah no it does another big takeaway i'm not afraid of all-star wide receivers any longer <laughs> no no god deandre baker oh my god deandre baker so is absolutely incredible uh Dino we... samuel is a very good wide receiver and we both talked about that we yeah, both acknowledge yeah. that he's incredible but to just know that debo samuel got shut down the way he did is just once again like chest kiss chest yeah, kiss yeah Ugh. Did you see DeAndre Baker after the game, the recording of him? He's walking off the field, and he looks over at, like, the Channel 2 Sports News um, uh, camera, and he's just like, you know who I am now. He can look my number up. Oh. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. And then after the game, he, in the press availability, he said said something like, if he was going to the bathroom, I was going with him. I didn't leave him the full day. No. Yeah. DeAndre Baker was just... Knockdown lights out. So good. Tyson Campbell, despite despite his experience and despite the bad plays that ended up happening around him, I think still had an overall pretty good day. Uh, there were a few few moments where, you know, the there was a touchdown that was caught um, under Tyson Campbell's eye. And it was, thr- the you know, he, he just read the quarterback wrong is what ended up happening. He read the quarterback. The quarterback faked him out. You could tell that he dropped his defender off of zone coverage and ran to where he yeah. thought the ball was going to be. Yeah. And the thing about that is, like, while that's bad, while we don't want that to happen, that's fixable. Right. That's that's just practice. And yeah, that's you, just you do it more, do it more. Th- that was actually it. one of my takeaways, too, is that we can teach. When he got burnt, he got burnt because he was in the wrong place, not yeah. because he got burnt. Yeah, not you know because he's, yeah, he's not out-talented by any means. We, we can, you can teach him to be in the right place you can't teach him to be 6-1 and have track speed Mm -hmm. and so i mean that in that sense i'm not too concerned about campbell i think 
I think that, frankly, that there aren't many teams good enough other than probably Missouri to take advantage of him going down the stretch. Yeah. And that by the time we get to the games, they're going to be really important for he'll be you know, the SEC championship and the playoff race that he'll, he will have recovered quite a bit. Yeah. By, by the time we see Auburn and Jarrett Sidham, I think he's going to be just fine. He's going to be in a place where he'll be ready for Jarrett Sidham because mm-hmm. he'll have to go through Drew Locke and what's a safe, uh, what's his face? Um, was John Burrow from Joe LSU, Burrow. Joe Burrow. Just a lot of really great quarterbacks, actually, in the SEC right now that that I'm sure that once he plays through all those, because these teams are going to play to Tyson Campbell like they did last Mm -hmm. night. So it's going to happen over and over again. He's going to get the experience, and it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that he will get the practice he needs to become the cornerback he wants to be and will be. Okay, so I've got two quotes that I really liked. Uh, Jake Fromm after the whim. And it was weird to see Jake Fromm get immediate availability. Yeah. One of my friends, Kyle, he texted me. He was like, Jake Fromm's getting interviewed. What's I going did on? this too. I wrote this down. This is good. Uh, somebody has to pay for the preparation we do. And today that's somebody with South Carolina. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> um, I think overall, this just looked like a very Alabama win. This was one of those wins where, you know, it was kind of close at halftime. I mean, the, how many times have we seen Alabama play this game? It's close at halftime. You get into the third quarter. Alabama has bigger dudes than you, and they just kind of lean on you until your legs give out. Mm-hmm. And that's what UGA did to USC. And yeah, I've always been very careful about making Alabama comparisons because UGA is not Alabama, and there's just differences between the two schools, and they're always going to be. But you can see how Kirby Sparts' real, you know, vision for how this team can win is starting to be implemented. Where, you know, this is a team that can pretty much out depth twelve of the fourteen teams in the SEC, maybe eleven, but still, I mean, most of the teams that we play are just going to be. I mean, they're just not going to have the talent to run with us. And sure, we could lose a couple of those games just because they play a really good game and we play a bad one. But, you know, if talent plays out the way that it should, we're just going to win most of our games this year. And that's just what it is. Yeah. I really like this other quote from Hardman. Uh, On his long touchdown run, of his long touchdown run, he said, I was very surprised I was that wide open. I thought the boy, that he was playing man when he blitzed. I was wide open, and I'm like, wow, I hope the ball's coming. I should have <laughs> scored on that play, actually. I'm still glad uh, Jake threw the ball. And I think that's just sort of, we're going to be hearing Hardman say, I'm really surprised I was that wide open a lot this year because of the speed on this team. Mm-hmm. I think Hardman, Godwin, Robertson didn't even get a catch because everybody else was catching. I thought J.J. Holloman, he, J.J. Holloman, dude, if he puts it all together, J.J. Holloman could be a, you know, second round, first round draft pick wide receiver. He has every tool in the book. And if he puts mm-hmm. it all together with blocking, he's going to play in the NFL for a long time. He had his one big catch of the day. He caught it, ran after the catch, and ended up dragging like six or seven Gamecock defenders with him down to the ground. Um, and just, I think that this is going to be a team where we are going to run the ball, but where we're going to murder teams is that when we throw the ball outside, we're going to get five or 10 yards after the catch a lot of the time. Um, I think DeAndre Baker is the Omar of, if this were the wire, DeAndre Baker is uh, Omar <laughs> when it comes to opposing wide receivers. Uh, we, we already talked about Campbell. I didn't really see much from the outside linebackers outside DeAndre Walker. You can tell Grant uh, that Walter Grant and Britton Cox need some seasoning. And I, and I don't mean that in the sense that they're bad players. I just mean that I don't know that if they have all of the tools in their toolkit that they need not to just get shut down by good tackles. On the other hand, I thought the inside linebackers looked really, really good. Monty Rice and Javon Taylor both look really good. Rice isn't as fast as Roquan, but he's a big dude who can thump. And he can run a little bit. So I, I think he's going to end up being very good for us. Javon Taylor, I thought, also looked pretty good. Drive finishing seemed to be a super big deal for USC. We already talked about that. I thought Richard LeCount was a total joy to watch, and I'm going to talk more about him later. Jake Fromm was an unevil, uneven, but when he settled in, I, you know, I think that just Jake Fromm's best skill set is that he makes intermediate NFL throws. He is lethal on them. 
He throws guys open on intermediate routes so well. There were two or three times. There was a catch and run by, I think, Godwin on Godwin's touchdown, where Godwin, it was like a little out. It was an intermediate out route about 15 yards down the field, and Godwin went out, and Fromm threw him to the left as the defender was coming to the right, and Godwin looped back under him because of where the ball was placed. And that's the kind of thing that if if Fromm can do that reliably, he's going to play in the NFL. You can tell Cheney knows that they couldn't match the speed on, they couldn't match our speed on the perimeter because we were just throwing to the outside on these little intermediate slants and outs and digs and just like wheel routes, short wheel routes, and then like out routes to the flat. We were throwing all that stuff so fast. And you can just tell that like Cheney and Coley and Jacobs are very, very comfortable with the fact that most wide, most cornerbacks cannot catch our wide receivers in space. I thought that the last drive that Fromm was in was a thing of beauty. We ran the ball, like, I think 10 times in a row. And every time we ran out of a one-back, three-tight end set with one of the tight ends being an extra tackle. And they just couldn't stop us. <laughs> I mean, no. we just, it was like a five-minute long drive. I think that the running back depth on this team is real, even without White. I thought the silencer from Swift on his first touchdown, where he hit the South Carolina student section with the, like, shh, <laughs> no, just sleep now. No dreams. <laughs> just sleep. I thought that was great. Um, You can tell why there was only one target for the tight ends on this game. The wide receiver speed is just too good. And and in fact, you know, we always complain about the tight ends not getting uh, not getting play. But I mean, Nada did not look great on a couple of times in Mm -hmm. pass blocking today. So he's really got to improve that. Cleveland and Kenley got beat and pass covered a couple of times, which is like, whatever. It's just something you need to watch for. Uh, the online depth on this team is literally unbelievable. I thought Cade Mays looked amazing. His he dad was is, fantastic. His dad is a... I, I actually just retweeted a tweet of uh, that Dane Young put up of him just like getting to... The, blowing up his guy, getting to the second level, and blowing up a safety on a run. But uh, Cade Mays is... You know, his dad was a great UT player and an NFL, NFL player. And you can tell that he comes from that pedigree because he just looks like your prototypical tackle. I think Tyler Clark is a damn man. Um, Tyler Clark was in the backfield the whole day. He had a tackle for loss and a sack. He is a very disruptive player. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought the whole defensive line actually looked good after having some worries about it last year. Mm-hmm. I think Jake Camarda is He's gonna be very super good. dangerous. He had two tight he had two punts go for touchbacks yesterday. Uh-huh. One of them, I was on the field right when it happened, and one of them, if our our gunners had played it better, we it would not have it would not have been a touchback. And the other one was he just overkicked it, but God, he's got a leg and he gets the air. So he gets so much air under the ball. He basically just took Brian Edwards out of the game and Debo Samuels out of the game out of, as punt returners. I mean, Debo Samuels finished the day for thir- with 32 all-purpose yards mm-hmm. on six catches, which that is not just a testament to how good DeAndre Baker is, but how good Camarda was at kicking away from him and how Rodrigo Blankenship just apparently can't do anything but hit field goals and touchbacks. Oh, yeah. That's just all he does. He's literally I, – I, I'm sorry. No, actually, everybody likes it when I wax rhapsodic about things. Rodrigo Blankenship, like, <laughs> there's a chance Rodrigo Blankenship, like, long term, is the best NFL player on this team. Hey, calm down. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent serious. If, <laughs> seriously, if he keeps on doing this, he is going to be. If he can just literally kick touchbacks and hit forty-five and fifty-yard field goals, he is going to play for fifteen years. Yard, years oh, in easily. the NFL. I mean, like, That's I, I genuinely mean that. That, that, that was not me. That's not hyperbole. Like, I think he is an NFL kicker. I mean, mm-hmm. just the the accuracy and the leg he gets under the ball, he never mishits a ball. That That's what blows my mind is that even very, very good kickers with very good legs occasionally mishit balls. You can tell it comes off their leg weird or they didn't kick it right or it you know, there's happens. a problem. He just never. He kicks the ball cleanly every damn time. And then he has a great leg, but he doesn't have like a, you know, Sebastian Janikowski leg. But it doesn't matter because every, every, it's like, he's like a golfer that just faces the club on the ball every time. And it's like, 
if you can do that, you're just basically going to hit more of your more of your shots than not. Mm-hmm. And that's where he is right now. He's unreal. We and also, I, we've I don't, been, I don't actually think we appreciate Rodrigo Blinkenship enough. I was about to say we're about to be. We've already been requested once that we start a hot rod watch for. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Most West points Coast. in a season. Yeah, we we actually should go over that. We'll add that in our Ask CBC. Yeah, I don't have that written down, but we'll add that. Just uh, know that he is the eleventh most scoring UGA player of all time, and he's one point away from tenth. So we'll yeah. talk about that. All right. Our over-unders? Over-unders. Let's go over them. Uh, Over-under three pass breakups for Campbell. Uh, I said over. You said under. How many? He had one? I actually don't know. He had one. Well, he had many passes defense, but he only had one pass breakup. Yeah. Over-under 150 yards. Debo Samuel. Both of us said under. Both of us said under, and it went under. under. What? 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 Now, (laughs) let's be real, though. That under was kind of a prayer. It was more of a prediction. Yeah. But we got it. Over under UGA total, 400 yards of offense. We both set over, and we hit it. Yeah, 71 yards over, I think. UGA, two interceptions. I said push. And you got it. And I said under. Yeah, Yeah, I was pretty hopeful. Score predictions. 31-24 UGA for Nathan. uh, 30-17 UGA for Justin. You actually got... You were only 11 points off. For Georgia, yeah. I was... Well, you were 11 total points off, and I was 17 total points off. So, not yeah. too bad. Not too bad. Not the worst. We, yeah. I did not expect there to be... I did not expect us to go over 40 points, to be honest. I... My main thing was, I just didn't know how polished we were going to look. I didn't know how well we were going to deal with adversity. And frankly, I think I was still thinking of this as a Mark Ritz team. I thought we were going to be more conservative in our play calling, Yeah, honestly. I, I tweeted... Uh, I was tweeting some, like, overheard in Columbia things. Mm-hmm. And one of them that I tweeted was, I heard a South Carolina fan say, as he walked out of the stadium, this sure is ain't a mark ricks team i was like you know what you're right you're absolutely right this is not time for ask cbc yeah so hopping right into our ask cbc we got a lot of these and i want to just thank everyone personally for all of our all of their participation with us this really uh it grows our brand and it makes this podcast better when you guys are involved and i know it seems like you guys involved uh, enjoy it hey why don't we go over the stuff from west coast mark first okay actually. yeah let's talk about it so West Coast Mark has, it's made it a habit. He's made it a habit now of like actually just directly messaging us. And one, um, he does this thing where he trolls Nathan and then praises me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite, <laughs> and that's quite a bit. Quite kind a bit. of his thing. Uh, yeah. that, that's about it. So talking about how, you know, Nathan's gotten real big and I'm still uh, the grassroots podcaster that looks to the little guy, but Nathan's gotten too big and he only goes to his Hollywood parties and hangs out with all of the, he, that's true. you know, his elbows true. are so damn chafed. Yeah, he's just, just been rubbing, rubbing, rubbing elbows with all the good ones. But yeah, so he brought up, he wants to do a hot rod watch. And if you didn't already know this, West Coast Mark, he went to the Rose Bowl last year and he dressed up as Rodrigo Blankenship because it's very clearly his favorite player. Understandably so. This one's for you. West Coast Mark. And he, okay, hold on. Let's let's clear the air on this. He's, he did say my name, and he looked at me, and I didn't recognize him. To be clear, I had in earplugs and a walkie-talkie headset, and there were 80,000 people on the field, and I was trying to make sure we didn't get a penalty by keeping the band off the field. Mm-mm. Anyway, but let's go over the stuff that he sent us, because I think he, <laughs> he sent us some really good stuff. He did send us some really good stuff. The biggest thing was he, he wanted us to go on a Hot Rod watch, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, we should do that. So Hot, hot Rod now has 211 career points. Total scored in 10th place is Garrison Hurst with 212. Lars Tate is in 9th at 222. Rex Robinson is at 269. Brandon Cattu is at 273. Cannon Parkman is at 282. And and 5th place with 314 is Herschel Walker. Which I think is pretty incredible. Yeah. Drew Butler is 4th uh, with 353. Marshall Morgan is 3rd uh, with 407. Billy Bennett with 409 is 2nd. And Blair Walsh is 1st with 412 points scored. He actually has a legit stop, uh, spot at the top, uh, legit shot at the top spot, considering that, as Mark told us, 
and this is true, Kirby Smart seems to be willing to roll him out anywhere, basically inside of the 50, Kirby Smart sends him out there. 131 is the single season record set by Billy Bennett in 2003. That's He has 20 after the first two games. He has 20 points. Which, so, so on average, he's, that which I was about to say, on average, he's picking up about 10 points a game but if we play in if we play him a lot games, more and we're playing teams with better defense but which, also i mean if we go to the sec championship and he's got go, more games to play sure yeah but at the same time like we're not going to play teams we're going to need to score three points on until we get to our seventh and eighth game yeah but i just i i think that kirby smart is just the kind of guy where he he just wants to take the most it's a lot of times people kick when they should go for it on fourth down. But mm-hmm. if you have a dude who's good from inside 50, 90% oh, yeah, you, of the time, you, you just make him you just keep sending him out there. Yeah. And I think that's what he's going to do. I do think that Mark had a really good comment where he said, in typical UGA fan fashion, if someone needs to find a downside of number 98 kicking, I bet that by season's end, we have about the worst kickoff coverage team in the country. Imagine a year without a single tackle on kick coverage. <laughs> it seems unlikely for me that that wouldn't ha- that that would happen. But uh-huh. on the other hand, like, not only has he not kicked any non-touchbacks, he hasn't kicked anything that was close to not being a touchback no, yet not. this year, which is just absolutely crazy. So do you want to make a prediction of where you think Hot Rod might be by the end of the season then? I mean, I think he's got a legitimate shot to to crack the top five. I think he has a good chance of hitting the top five. I think, he uh, I think Blair Walsh is going to be a hard... hard. Uh, Blair Walsh had an unreal career at UGA. He's, yeah. he's gonna be hard. Also, there's not a good chance... Hot Rod will probably not stay past this year. What do you I, think about that? I don't know. I think he might stay. You think he might stay senior year? Well, I mean, generally, like, kickers don't come out early. They don't. Either. Not normally. But occasionally he is very good. Um, Mark also gave us an over-under. Total players over 100 yards. Everyone counts as kept the punter and kicker. I assume he means next week, next, um, next week over-under a four. We'll cover that in our MTSU yeah. preview. All right. Let's do the rest of these CBCs, buddy. Okay. So, Irk Russell gave us a, how many curves would a Chapel Bell curve curve? No, he didn't. Hold on. How many curves would a chapel bell curve if a chapel bell could curve curves? Nathan, do you have an answer for that one? I mean, look, uh, a bell curve is only one, so one. One, one big curve, hard. yeah. One curve, That's yeah. it. Uh, Ligistrom Gog. <laughs> how many times did Danielson mispronounce Hardman and how athletic do the safeties look? Was it Hardeman? Did he give a Hardeman a lot? He said Hardeman a lot. Well, you, how many you said times? Hardeman today. Yeah, also. I said Hardeman earlier, yeah. <laughs> how many times did he do it? I, oh, I, I do not know. Watch the broadcast. It, it was a lot, I'm imagining, knowing Danielson. Many times. Also, uh, you've gotten into my head to the point now where I oftentimes have to question myself if it's demetrius robertson it's demetrius. or demetrius robertson demetrius. i know but you go back and forth so constantly yeah, that well, I, I now know. question myself and uh, the safeties look really good jr reed it's really funny because you don't think of jr reed as being this incredibly athletic specimen because he transferred from tulsa but god he is he's a he's great so player good. and richard LeCount is just he's a rocket sent from heaven meant to charm my heart <laughs> is what he is uh, god bless him jr reads uh he reads the ball so well yes he does jr reed jr reed is one of those guys who just He's got the physical tools, but he's also just so cerebral that he's almost never out of position. He plays it so well, too. Like, the one that, that one interception is the second interception of the game where he picked that one up in the end zone. He played Bentley so well. Like, you could tell they had each other locked on. Bentley, like, looks to the left to try and throw Reed off. And then and he Reed, just walked right under it. Well, yeah. no, Reed faked it out. He yeah. went right he and then was him. able to... Yeah. Poof, like, yeah. Abby Vincent Key, what was your favorite moment dur- or play during the SC game? I can tell you, but I want I want you to... My favorite play? Yeah. It could have been that J.R. Reed because it was just so, so pretty. Just so pretty how, just how flawless it was. It was either that or I really loved the Hardman hurdle mm-hmm. uh, in that first mm-hmm. quarter when Hardman just... He almost stayed in too. He almost stayed in. Yeah, it was a very good hurdle. Uh, I think that guy was more surprised than anything, which is why he came up when he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why if, if he hadn't been surprised and didn't come back up and hit Hardman right in the, the groin there, <laughs> yeah. he may have actually hurdled him and made it yeah. the whole way. So for me, it was the... The last drive of the game, 
was 16 plays, 58 yards, no scores. It took up nine nine minutes and 29 seconds of, of game time. And on that play, we had a fourth and one at about their 30. And we had our full second team offense in, including our fourth team running back. Um, I don't think Parker was in yet. I think it was actually Swift at this point. And we ran it up the middle in a heavy two tight end set. And they knew exactly what we were going to do. And we did it anyway. And running, going for it on fourth and one with your fourth string running back up 41 to 17, just so you can make sure there's no chance that they get it within three scores. It's mm-hmm. just like, if I had a dream in 2008 of what a perfect play for UGA football would be, it would just be, it would just be like smacking South Carolina like that. <laughs> God, it felt so good. It was just the ultimate, like, yeah, you're going to have to censor that. Yeah. It was just the ultimate, like, you've, you've beat someone up. And they've given up, and you're still just so angry at them that you're just rubbing their face in the dirt just to prove it. And it's funny because I know that Muschamp and Kirby Smart are friends, but I like how to Kirby it's like, yeah, yeah, we're friends, dude, but that only goes so far. You know who uh, who actually finally responded to us, who is giving us some attention, is our uh, our big brothers over at Waiting Since Last Saturday. They actually gave us an Ask CBC. All right. They said, uh, long-time listener, first-time uh, question asker, first-time caller kind of thing. Kirby says it's 90%, but what do the actual numbers say about a team's chance of winning when they score a defensive touchdown? Um, I actually looked this There's up. There's lots of articles about this yeah, from yeah. Bill Connolly, too. Yeah, there. it does seem like you have a 90%. I, I think I don't think it means that you have a 90% chance of winning. Well, this comes over to that, turnover luck and turnover margin. Yeah, really. yeah but I, I think it. I think what it comes down to is that it greatly increases your, your chance of winning and that basically teams who score with at least one defensive touchdown have a, on average, 90% chance to win. It does not mean that you automatically have a 90% chance to win. For instance, you could score a pick six after you were down like 35 and it wouldn't matter. But just on average... That is the case. Those yeah. are, that is what the numbers say. But if you think about it in terms of just like, I kind of think about it at, in terms of like, like tennis serves, like stealing someone's serve, where when you get a point in a tennis game off of someone else's serve, you've basically flipped it so mm-hmm. that now they're behind. Well, you yeah, know, when you, you make a point on the break point. Yeah, you, you took so, the advantage off yeah, of them. The momentum's it, it kinda, completely gone. It actually kind of made me think about, um, since we got a pick six, it, I, I, another analogy I would give is, the numbers game of scoring a lot of runs in the first inning of a um, baseball game, because, you know, when your starting pitcher comes in and he already has a five run lead, it changes the way he pitches, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it was kind of the same for us in the first quarter, a little bit to our detriment because we got a little too conservative after the first drive where, you know, from came in on the first drive, basically, you know, bottom of the first inning staked to a three run lead Mm -hmm. basically. And I think that that also helps you because, your what you can call when you're up and when you're comfortable and what you're willing to call psychologically and what your players are willing to do is way different than when you're tied or down. But it's also such a big deal when you do actually make a defensive touchdown because what's essentially is happening is you're lengthening, you're doubling the amount of time the the opponent's offense has to be on the field after that. And that changes the whole course of the the rest of the Mm -hmm. game at that Mm -hmm. point because, you know, if your drive is 70, 80 yards long and then you have to do it again immediately after, that's just completely it takes away whatever advantage they yeah it takes away whatever advantage they would get from keeping your defense on the field in yeah some ways. exactly ryan clark asks how many chicken wings can you fit in your mouth at one time dude i don't mess with bones in my mouth so uh, <laughs> zero zero nathan nathan ain't looking to die by choking on a chicken wing now boneless chicken wings like 15 probably but it's funny you say that though because james bearfield wants to know are boneless wings just like chicken nuggets 
you have an answer for this? Yes, they're just chicken nuggets. They're just Moving saucy on. chicken nuggets. Yeah, the thing about are. chicken nuggets is that you dip them, but the moment yeah. you cover them in sauce and keep them that way, they're just boneless wings. They're just boneless wings. That's just chicken nuggets, dude. All right, uh, Ryan Clark, FCBC. Two questions. After the trash football we saw yesterday, one, should we jump close in? Two, do you think anyone in the LCC East even has a chance against us against this team? I mean, maybe we should jump Clemson. I don't think it really matters at this point. I don't this think year. we should jump Clemson. I personally feel that Clemson's, Clemson's overrated. Clemson's secondary does not look that good. No, Kellen Mond had a really good day, but I don't know. I don't know that they're overrated. Well, I just think they based every... on S and P plus, they are a touch overrated. That's true, and and I also think that their defensive line is as good as advertised, but the back half of their defense is not look as good as I thought they would. Yeah, yeah. Do you think anyone in the SEC East even has a chance against this team? Not after today. I mean, uh, I, I think, think South Carolina had I the best Missouri chance. I think Missouri with a better offensive coordinator could. I think Drew Luck's a very good player. I think Missouri with a better offensive line. Yeah. Also. My, my whole concern, I have, I, I have a concern that we're going to get torched by Missouri a little bit. But I also don't know that their defense is ever going to stop us. No. So I think, you know, Missouri might be a game where it's close and it's a very competitive game. It's going to look like last year's game. Yeah, it's a, it's a competitive game. It's closer than, you know, people think it'll be. But ultimately, we only have to get a couple of stops to win the game, basically, yeah, is where exactly. I'm kind of at. Kyle Andridge asks, Justin and Nathan, who's, quote unquote, your boy on the team this year? He's got running back Cook and Holyfield, outside linebacker Grant. Nathan, do you want to talk about your boy? Because you've been waiting to do so, so far? No, no, I want you to go, because I have the whole, like, spiel. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, my, my two favorite boys, and I really don't have a spiel necessarily like you do, but I'm just a big fan of the DeAndres. One, because I can just call them the DeAndres, and um, their last names are pretty similar anyway, uh, Walker and Baker. I just think they're they're two outstanding players, and they're going to make uh, just a huge mark on the field, and having them on the field at any given point in time means that there are going to be plays made. And I like that. I like DeAndre Baker a lot. We've talked about him a lot today. Uh, I also really, really, really love Holyfield. I think Holyfield's incredible, and I think he's going to continue to impress us all year. What you got? What what kind of I want to talk about? Ri- I, I want to talk about Richard LeCount. Yeah, Richard LeCount. If Nathan's Ru- opening his personal diary right now. I actually do have a poem pulled up. <laughs> um, if if Raquan Smith was like a precision munition guided missile that you shot out of an airplane and then unerringly tracked to its target and killed it every time. Richard LeCount is like a battery of unguided rockets. Does Richard LeCount always know where he's going on this field? No. Does Richard LeCount always go there very quickly? Oh, yes. Does he have an intent to hurt and a sort of fearlessness about his body that probably is not healthy long term? By God, yes, he does. There were times when Richard LeCount, last, uh, I think the first game he did this, where he ran and tackled someone without doing the tackling form. He basically just like ran into them really fast and they just fell over. Mm-hmm. And that is just so my favorite play of like every single time Richard LeCount walks onto the field. He, in my mind, I imagine that he thinks, well, if I don't give 100% on this play, I'll die. And my hair is on fire. <laughs> so I must run. I must run and run and run so hard. Richard LeCount is like, you know how like little toddlers will run around and like run into stuff and seem indestructible um, and then they'll just like fall asleep. That's what Richard LeCount is, but he's like 20. And I imagine that like basically when he's not playing football, he's the lowest key guy ever and is just asleep because like how he can play <laughs> with that much energy. I have no God. I, I have no earthly idea. That man is like 
he's like a rocket shot out of hit out of hell he has no idea where he's going sometimes but by god he is getting there fast and actually on saturday he he seemed to know exactly where he was going he's playing really good but he's such a joy to watch dude it's just such a joy to see someone play like troy palomalu style safety for georgia mm-hmm. i'm not saying he's like troy palomalu good i'm just saying the thing that he does where he's just like running around recklessly on every play and you're just like <laughs> oh who is that oh shit that looks unhealthy. Oh, Who's God. Who's he going to hit? Oh, God. Don't hurt no him. No one's too close. <laughs> Don't hurt him. God, by God. Okay. Uh, William Eason. Thoughts on the weapons on offense? Seems there are so many that it's hard to share the ball around enough, but that's possibly good, meaning we have depth. But how close to Boba's record-breaking level do you production do you think we get? I think we probably break that record. I just oh, don't think yeah. we're playing enough good defenses. I think LSU will probably slow us down. I think Auburn will slow us down. But we don't really play many defenses that have the skill to run with our talent. And I think we're going to have a lot of these review episodes where we're like, oh, uh, Terry Godwin had 200 yards after contact. <laughs> like i just i seriously i just yeah. don't think that we have we don't play enough people that have sort of an alabama style back seven to stop us very much vinegar barbecue dog asked is a fibonacci spiral the best example of empirical data found in nature and can it be used to decide if the dog should go for two in future overtime games let me just say before we even pretend to answer this this question that i'm really enjoying all of the mathematical trolling that everyone's doing and everyone's really getting into the on-brand idea of chapel bell curve so thank you thank you for that do we have an answer for this yeah uh it is absolutely not the best example of empirical data from nature the best example of empirical data from nature is the fermi paradox which is the idea enrico fermi had this idea that basically every amount of information that we have tells us that there should be extraterrestrial civilizations and yet we can't we haven't found one so basically the idea is that there's billions of stars in the galaxy that are basically the similar to the sun and many of these stars are billions of years older than the solar system so with high probability some of these stars have earth-like planets and if earth is a typical planet of how carbon-based life forms evolve that many have developed intelligent life so some of these civilizations may have developed interstellar travel or a step that earth is investigating now so even at the slow pace of currently envisioned interstellar travel the milky way galaxy should be or could be completely traversed in a full million years a few million years so basically according to this line of reasoning the earth should have already been visited by visited by extraterrestrial aliens so you know Fermi noted that no convincing evidence of this leading him to ask, where, where is everybody? And there are many attempts to answer this question, but to me, that's the best example of sort of the empirical-based thinking that we do on the show in nature, is the idea that for whatever reason, extraterrestrials, to our knowledge, have not um, visited Earth. So if we draw parallels between UGA and the Fermi paradox, would it be so much talent on this team, we've played so well. How have we not gained a national championship since the 80s? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so how has it been <laughs> 38 years? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I feel like the Kirby Smart era is kind of like the tide where it's like, yeah, sure. That lighthouse looks real steady now, but in 35 years, it's going to fall over. Mm-hmm. Or we're just stand on wait. the beach and yeah. like wait for the tide to reach your feet. Eventually it will kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Eventually you'll drown. And that's what's going to happen. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to drown our problems with, with just talent and numbers. So um, no, the Fibonacci spiral cannot be used since it's not the one we, we just... Uh, BS'd about i'm sorry harrison asked a question that i want you to answer i just have one question who is this deandre baker character your daddy (laughs) (laughs) he is your daddy he is all of our daddy james barefield says do you think our o-line is in trouble with the injury this year no no their depth is incredible Cade mays is so good and also they they took 10 offensive linemen to south carolina and all 10 of them got snaps yeah so also the offensive line is your dad. Multiple snaps. You have two dads. You have two dads now. My my two dads squared. DeAndre Baker is one of your dads. The other dads, the other dad is all 15 four and five star <laughs> offensive linemen that you play for UGA, uh, and they're sweet. They made you a sweater. You ha- you should wear it. Yeah, don't, please don't embarrass your dads like this. Yeah, he only gets to see you on weekends. Okay, James Barefield. I've been waiting for this moment. 
All what week. poem would you equate to the South Carolina game and why, Nathan? Please stop. Don't feed the animals. When you come to the zoo and you listen to our podcast, please don't feed the animals because this is what happens. Um, well, I would... Com- I, you know, one of the big things I took away from this game is that I had a lot of anxiety going into it, and I just slew, I slowly fell in love with this team. And so I'm going to read Sonnet 18 from William Shakespeare. We estimate this was actually written late in his life in early 1600s. I think this is post-Jacobian Shakespeare, to my knowledge. <clears throat> Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's leaf hath all too short a date. Sometimes too hot the eye of heaven shines. Oh, that sounds like South Carolina. And often in his gold complexion dimmed. But every fair from fair sometimes declined by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. By thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Thank you. There it is. I hope you enjoyed your Shakespearean moment with Nathan Lawrence. Yeah. One day, one day if we lose, uh, like the poem I compare it to is going to be The Wasteland, which is about <laughs> 35 pages long. So that's going to be a long episode. Well, the parts of it I would read would be about 35 pages long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it for today, buddy. I think good, so, too. Good, good episode. <laughs> so this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can, as always, find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. I know there's some people on Dog Sports that are asking, how do I listen to this? And how do I rewind it? And how do I use the controls? Just Google Chapel Bell Curve and find us on any of the different platforms that we put our podcast up on and host us. If you want to get on the show like many did this episode, you can at us or hashtag AskCBC on any of the social media platforms and actually, that we can are I on. Say, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. If you want us to respond to your question, even if you're responding to my call for answer for questions, still put AskCBC in it because it's easy. It's the best way for us to find it. And we, there's a good chance that we will miss it if you do not ask CBC or at least directly email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. Also, you should go check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com. Uh, it's kind of in flux right now because we changed our hosting platform and our actual website is kind of, uh, it may be a little bit late by a few hours when we release new episodes, but uh, it'll all be fixed in due time. You know, we are a grassroots podcast that doesn't have any money to do this other than the money that is donated to us through our Patreon and any of the extra money that we decide not to spend on gadgets or UGA dogs gear. But you can also find us on dogsports.com now. Dogsports has been featuring our show. And they will, I hopefully, continue to do so indefinitely. Um, you guys hear that? You hear that, boys? You hear that, dog sports? I'm shaking my fist right now. Indefinitely. So indefinitely. It'd be really great if you guys did that forever. That'd be really cool. Uh, and I know all the writers listen to us, so they're all hearing this right now. So yeah. take that to the writing room. Anyway, if you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to leave us a rating and a review. That goes a long way into getting more people to listen to the show, see the show. It just uh, kind of ups our exposure. I have a dream that one day, I'm not going to do that thing. But I'm, I'm really hoping that one day we will be on the top 50 of college sports on iTunes. And I don't feel like we're that far off because our numbers are um, creeping ever so closely to our good friends over at Waiting Since Last Saturday. And they are on the top 50. So I'm hoping to one day see us right next to them. So uh, you guys would do a huge favor to us if you were to share it, rate it, review it on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to it. Because that means other people would find it. 
either by accident or by looking for us, and it gets easier the more that you rate and review it. Also, I, I'd want to say I saw that there was a comment. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ezra, but I saw that there was a comment on the last post, the last game post about, or the last podcast post about transcription services. Yes. And that is something we're definitely looking into. Yeah, it's super easy, and I'll probably do that for, if not this one, then the next one. Uh, I just have to, that also costs money uh, if I don't want to listen to the whole episode and write it all down, which I am not going to do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but there are different apps that I can actually run the episode through, and it'll do it. But that costs money, too, so consider we'll there giving us a dollar a month and maybe we can do that more consistently who knows yeah but you don't have to this is our review episode so you'll probably hear us again later this week hopefully on our preview episode for middle tennessee i imagine that since that is uh less of a stats heavy game and more of a surefire thing that it'll it might be a little bit well loosey goosey loosey goosey and we apologize (laughs) but after that we have like four sec games that we'll get to preview and review so that'll be so stats heavy that you won't know what to do with yourself. You'll just get stats right in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you'll just have to clean your, you'll have to flush your eyes out because you'll have stats in them so much. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see you next weekend for Middle Tennessee in the Classic City. But until then, as always, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>